Thank you, Pastor Brenda, for those prayers, and good morning, church. It's great to be with you all today. Welcome. We are in the midst of our Bigger Table series, and I am looking around for the, the clicker. I'm not sure where that might have went, but all right, I'll, Pastor Brenda's to blame, and we caught her. We're in the midst of our Bigger Table series, and last week, Pastor Brenda and Lance talked about authentic community, being real with one another. And it's this whole series has been on inviting people to the table and that it's God's table and he invites everybody. Now, I had an idea I'd shared with the team when we started the series for like a prop and I was thinking, oh, we'll start off with a small table and then we'll just make the table bigger up front here every week. And I thought it was great, but nobody else liked it. So we didn't go with that idea. But that's the concept, right, is that there's a space for everybody. And today we're talking about when religion gets in the way. Now, religion can be a helpful thing, but sometimes it can be a barrier, actually, in our relationship with God. This term, the nuns, um, came up or first coined in 1965, uh, and it's this idea of people were filling out surveys in terms of their religious affiliation, um, no longer were ticking any one of the boxes. They maybe had a religious affiliation in the past and now don't. And this has been a growing trend in East Asia, Europe, North America, Australasia. Um, and this nun category continues to get bigger, especially with younger people. Now, there's no sort of um, silver bullet to this or no sort of one reason. What some global surveys have found is that the more... Um, education and the more economic stability there are, actually the more nuns you might have, where life seems to be just going okay. But there are a lot of reasons for this, and I came across the teaching on this book by Phyllis Tickle called The Great Emergence, and she puts forth the idea that every 500 years, um, for these last 2,000 years, there's this major shift in Christianity specifically, and that starts with Jesus himself bringing a major shift to Judaism, starting actually a new religion, if you will, of Christ followers, eventually called Christians. 500 years after that, Rome fell, and with that, it changed Christianity. You had a rise in more of church structure, a bigger importance on bishops and the popes, more political involvement between the church and the state. In 1054, you have a major break in the church itself, the great schism, and I won't go into all of that. I love church history, but I'll spare you. I know a lot of you don't. <laughs> but the East and the Western church split in 1054, so we now had the Orthodox church and the Catholic church, and that split still exists today. There have been attempts to try to bridge those gaps, um, and there are helpful steps, but major tear in the church. The next major tear in the church started with the Reformation in 1517, and you have the beginning of Protestantism, Protestant, protesters, right, is the heart of that word. And from there, you've got thousands and thousands of different splits that came off of that. And then you have today. We're in a postmodern world. We see increased nationalism. We see increased geopolitical tensions. You have societies becoming more divisive internally. 
And so what do we do in this season? Who are we? What and how do we reflect the heart of Jesus in our homes, in our workplaces, in the city, and in this world? What's our voice to this? How do we want to reflect God's heart, our faith? So religion can become a barrier, but also our own personal sort of preferences become a barrier to the bigger table. Growing up, my dad would love to have people over, especially um, for the holidays, and invite them in. And sometimes the characters he would invite in were truly characters. (laughs) They were not people we would maybe normally associate with, and they were rough around the edges, and they drank too much, and they swore too much. And at the time, I thought, why do we have these people in our home? This is uncomfortable. And it wasn't until later I appreciated his heart of hospitality, that it wasn't so much about personal preference as it was as providing a table, a meal, a place for somebody to enjoy fellowship. And we might do that ourselves. We might want to make the table smaller ourselves. We might actually weaponize our religion to make the table smaller as well. Now, we've seen um, really around the globe an impact on Christianity itself. Before, I was talking about religions, but Christianity itself. And let me speak into some of what I've seen in Hong Kong in terms of church attendance. COVID has had a big impact on that. And people have gotten into different rhythms, and it's sort of like exercising. You stop exercising, it's harder to start back. But we've seen um, just what is the reputation of Christianity in the globe. If you were to ask a non-Christian, what's one word to describe Christians? What's a word that you might hear? You can just shout it out. Hypocrites. Hypocrites. All right. That's wonderful, right? (laughs) Judgmental is also in the top three, you know, and these are not helping the table to be bigger. If people do not feel welcome to the table, if this is what they think our faith is, how do we counter that? How do we speak into that? How do we ourselves do our own faith? How do we handle questions and doubts? How do we handle it when people aren't sure they believe everything that we want them to believe? See, I grew up with the idea that you had to accept everything the church taught or you could accept none of it. And I'm not saying our faith is like a buffet, I'll take a little of this, a little of that, but they'd put everything into the essential category. And we've seen where that leads after you know, the Protestant Reformation of thousands and thousands of splits where questions and doubts lead to splits, lead to walking away. And you know, it, it actually took me a long time to be comfortable with the idea that not every belief in the Bible carries the same weight. I had it so drilled into my head, and I I cringe at some of the things I said, the younger version of myself to explaining the faith or walking with somebody with their questions and doubts. I was a little nervous if they didn't accept the whole package. Now, how do we do this as a church? What do we lift up? How do we walk with people? I love this quote by Tolkien who says, not all who wander are lost. 
You know, instead of being afraid of questions and afraid of doubts, we can actually walk with people, and we ourselves can walk and discover. Instead of seeing this questioning or this deconstruction as, as a negative thing, we can welcome it in as a part of the discipleship journey. This word deconstruction has become quite popular in the last few years, but it's not a new concept. We actually see Jesus deconstructing the faith of those he encounters. His famous Sermon on the Mount starts with, Blessed are the poor. See, the general idea was if you were rich, you were blessed. And here is Jesus turning that upside down. He then says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, he's breaking down what it means to follow God. He says, love your enemy. Pray for your enemy. You have heard it was said, eye for an eye. But I say, turn the other cheek. He is challenging the beliefs of those who are gathering around him. He tells us we don't put new wine into old wineskins. Instead of avoiding those people that were unclean, he touches them and heals them and brings redemption. Instead of not healing on the Sabbath, he heals. He doesn't let his religion be a barrier for what needs to be done. Doesn't let it become a barrier for displaying his heart. Now, let's look at one deconstruction story a little more closely. John 3, 1, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, the leader of the Jews. Now, this is a story of Nicodemus. He was in the system. He was in the religious system itself. And Pharisees loved God. They had dedicated their lives to God. This was their main thing. But they struggled to see how God could work in new ways. They struggled to see how God could work outside of the box they had put God in. He came to Jesus by night, and he comes at night, why? So his reputation isn't at risk. Who is this respected Pharisee going during the daylight to talk to Jesus? Maybe he has questions. Maybe he has doubts. He wants to avoid all of that, so he goes at night, with his questions, and he says this to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus says, thank goodness for finally noticing. I've been creating miracles, water into wine. I've been healing people. Thank you so much. Glad to have you on the team. Is that what he says? If you don't know the story, you might be thinking, that's not a bad thing to say. But he says this, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He goes straight to the heart of Nicodemus's challenge. He says, Nicodemus, I know you want to see the kingdom of God, but you have got to be transformed. You've got to tear down what is blocking you from me. You've got to tear it down and you've got to rebuild. You've got to go through such a dramatic transformation on how you're engaging your faith that I'm going to call it like being born again. This is to somebody who has followed God their whole lives, had all of the scriptures most likely memorized, and Jesus says, you're going to have to tear it down and rebuild it. 
Well, that probably was not an easy ask. Deconstructing of faith is hard and painful. Nicodemus had a lot to lose. He could have been kicked out from his community. He could have been going from a respected place to disrespected. He could have lost the friendships that he was used to. And yet there was something there that he knew he had to go after. There was something about Jesus that led him to him that began to stir his own questioning. There's something here. I've probably went through a few deconstructions in, in my life. Growing up, hearing the message that the table's very small. In order to get to the table, you've got to jump through a lot of hoops. You've got to, you know, believe X, Y, and Z. You've got to pretty much look like all of us. And then the plan is, is to escape earth, right? It's to go to heaven. That's the big plan. Do all of this and get the escape card. I didn't understand that that is such a limited view and a, such an unhelpful and, and actually, I would say, heretical view of God's story. That we're bringing heaven to earth, that he is interested in the renewal of all things, of making all things new. And that he is at the heart of that. We were at Life Group on Saturday last night talking about creation care. And as followers of God, we, he gives us stewardship with this planet. Are we taking care of it? Are we working towards things that Brent, Pastor Brenda was talking about? Systemic issues of inequality and racism. Are we helping this world to be a flourishing world and working towards heaven coming to earth? It was challenging to let go of some of what I was holding on to because it, it brought a certain certainty. Everything was very black and white. It was very binary. You were in or out. And to begin to question begins to set you upon a journey that you're not sure where it is going to go. Now, I've talked with many of you here, and I know you're on that journey. Some of you at the early stages... Some of you have been like Nicodemus going, there's something about my faith or my world. And some of you have had to leave previous faith communities because you no longer felt compatible there or welcome there. Some of you have been through this journey. Some of you are here and you're like, I just found you guys on Google. <laughs> I don't know what this is all about. We're glad you're here too. We invite you into a journey of relationship, and what is our part as community church in this place as we speak into this major, I would say, transition in our world? I'm glad all of you are here, and wherever you might be on the journey, know that you have a place here. For some of you, maybe your, your belief system is solid, and, and maybe you haven't had to deconstruct maybe as much as I have in my journey, and I'm enjoy that place, but maybe you have a partner or a child or a friend who is questioning and wondering. Maybe something out of today will help you to be a good friend or family member to them. See, Jesus was confronting those people in his world. He was deconstructing, but then we see the early church do this as well. In Acts 10 and 11, you have Cornelius, this, this Gentile, and you have Peter, and God wants Peter to minister to Cornelius. So he gives 
Peter a dream about these unclean animals. And Peter's like, I'm not going to touch those. Those are unclean. And God is like, don't say what I have made as unclean. They're okay. And not just the animals, but actually the Gentiles. You're called to not just your own kind, but to everybody. And with Peter, like, oh, okay, that sounds great. No problem. Just, you know, the whole belief system that I've been working in my whole life, you're just saying, no, it's, it's different. <laughs> no, that comes with struggle, right? It comes with a lot of questioning. It comes with wrestling. It comes with being honest with yourself. Peter resisted this at first and still struggles as we see in the New Testament. And Paul gets into conflicts with him about wanting to add things to the gospel. It was not easy, but the movement of God is always expanding and always welcoming. And he was inviting Peter to tear down some of what he was basing his faith on to tear down some of those religious things that were keeping him from God and keeping others from God. It requires bravery to take this journey. So what type of Christianity do we want to present to the world? What is our part? Let's turn to Matthew Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. This is also in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is using this as a metaphor of salt. Now, I love to grill. Many of you know that. And never have I grilled something and served it, and people begin to eat and go, this is the best salt in the world, right? No, it's, it's, the salt is not the point, right? It's the steak or the vegetables that are the point. The salt is to enhance things, to, to flavor things, to, to make it better. And, and that's what Jesus is calling us to, to enhance, to make better, to flavor Everything should be better because you are there. And if we're not there, Jesus says there, there's, there's not much use. If those are not the things you are doing, how can we make things better for people in their lives? So what type of Christianity do we want to be? What type of salt do we want to be? What type of community should we be in this time and in this place? How do we tell people about the table, that there's a place for them, that they are welcomed? Questions, doubts, beliefs, and all, we want you here, that you are loved, accepted, that God's grace is transformative, that you are valued. So Nicodemus is deconstructing. Peter is deconstructing. Paul went through a major deconstruction. He had given his life to follow God. He was persecuting Christians because he thought they were um, blaspheming God. And then God confronts Paul on the road to Damascus, turns his world upside down. Paul goes away for three years to wrestle through that. He comes back and he's a major leader in the church and helping churches in their transition of what does this look like to follow Jesus. 
he stepped into these conflicts, spoke into these conflicts. We see him near the end of his letter to the church in Rome saying this, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. He is taking what Jesus said, what is, how can the law be summed up, right? To love God and to love others. So love is the fulfillment of the law. So we don't use the law to interpret love. We use love to interpret the law. The chapter after that, he says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. He puts these huge church conflicts. So these are disputable matters. They are not the heart of it. It's not that there's not a right or a wrong answer, but they are not worth fighting over this is side stuff. Let's focus on Jesus himself. This is why this is our first value at Community Church, to be Christ-centered. Christ-centered. We love because God first loved us. We seek intimacy and relationship with God, made possible by Jesus. We're a Christ-centered community. That is what we want to present to this world centered around and driven by the life message and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our faith centers on him. That's what we want to bring to the world. So Jesus is talking with Nicodemus. He says, you're going to have to be born again. You're going to have to be transformed. You're going to have to tear down in order to build up. And he continues with him and says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Many of you know these verses. They are good verses to know. Harder to live. Verse 17, to condemn and not judge. One of the things that Christians are known for doing. Jesus is pretty clear on what that looks like. Jesus talks about this in other places. He says, don't point out the speck in your neighbor's eye when you have a log or a plank in your own eye. Dallas Willard comments on that teaching by saying this, the plank is our judging, our condemnation. It keeps us from really seeing the other person. Jesus sees you. He does not have a plank in his eye. He sees you and he loves you. See, our religion can become a barrier when it keeps us from acting with compassion, when it keeps us from seeing the other person, and it can keep us from discovering Jesus ourselves, as we saw with Nicodemus, Peter, and Paul. So what are some ways? Now, religion is, is not a bad thing, right? There are helpful parts of our faith, of our practices. So I'm not saying all religion is wrong. But how do we keep religion helping us in our faith instead of harming us? One is to commit to being Christ-centered. We can add a lot of good intention things that are maybe helpful but when they rise to the level of the center of our faith, we've misplaced our faith in secondary things. Two, address questions and doubts. 
as questions emerge, as new ideas you come into interaction with, don't just leave them there. Bring them to somebody you trust. Maybe it's a life group friend or a leader or a pastor. Don't just Google for answers. Use that maybe as one source. Um, but dig into them. Welcome them. If you're somebody who is receiving a question, prayerfully walk with the person. Three, be aware of your own echo chamber. And, you know, this term you know, has really grown over the last few years as we see, you know, how social media is increasing divisions in societies because it feeds us the stream of things we like to see, and it can be really confirmation bias. Well, we can do that in questions of our faith, too. So expand that circle. Um, get different books. We've got some great books that we can point you to, but be aware of your own confirmation bias as you bring your questions, and fourth, faith isn't certainty, it's trust. Sometimes we'll put doubts into conflict with faith, but, you know, I, I love the verse, um, the end of Matthew, Jesus is giving his disciples the Great Commission, right, to tell the world about him, to, to form people into disciple-making people, and it says, some of them doubted. <laughs> who are the some? These are the disciples who had been with Jesus for three years, who had seen him crucified and risen from the dead. And Jesus is like, that's okay. This is still the commission I am giving you. And that should bring comfort to ourselves if we have questions or doubts. Ten chapters later in John... We see this, and they will know you are my disciples by your. Not very many things, one thing. By your love. By your love. See, there can be freedom on the other side of that deconstruction. There can be a new excitement of faith. There can be a desire to share that journey. Some people are worried, like, you know, Jesus wasn't worried what would happen to Nicodemus when he tells Nicodemus, you know what, I'm going to push you deeper. He wasn't like, oh, is Nicodemus going to walk away? Right? He wants Nicodemus to wrestle with this. In our wrestling, we might discover new life. It might be so transformative, it feels like being born again, which can be scary. But take courage, church, that you don't have to do this alone. Where do people go to hear about the gift of grace, that life has meaning, that they are loved? Hopefully right here. Hopefully in conversation with you. Hopefully in the places that you are being salt. This is the type of church I want us to be in this season. Not that we can do it perfectly, but we do it authentically. We want people to know that Jesus says, you are loved. You are seen, you are valued, and we are happy you are here. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are in fact here and that you see each one of us, Jesus. And some of us might be here today and maybe we feel like Nicodemus, that we have given our lives to following you and yet there are barriers, and, and maybe our belief system has become that barrier, and you are challenging us, expanding our views, inviting us 
to be born again. And maybe some of us here today feel like Peter. We're resistant to that message. There are certain people we have gotten used to, to not inviting to the table. Certain people we felt religious permission to exclude. God, may we be open to your spirit today. Maybe some of us are like Paul. And we've had the whole rethink. We've had the time to transition and we're walking with others to point them to you. May you give us courage. May you give each of us a listening heart. May we be a people that is always making space for you. So may we come and bring our questions. May we come and, and bring everything that is in us to you. May you, Jesus, speak into our hearts. Fill us with your spirit, we pray in your name. Amen.